Welcome to Peeling the Onion Podcast with Cheryl Passwater and Nancy Campbell, where we have real conversations about what it takes to dive deep into the unique journey of healing. Health is not a win-lose game. Join us and our amazing guests to explore the layers of physical, mental, and spiritual health. So grab a drink, go for a walk, get cozy, and let's peel the onion. Hi, Cheryl. Morning, Nancy. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it's kind of overcast and a beautiful kind of perfect Georgia fall day. It's muggy, but gorgeous <laughs> all at the same time. Um, I am super psyched to welcome my dear friend, Michelle Burzak to the show. Uh, hi, Michelle. You say hi. Hi. It's good to be hey. here. Yes. Welcome, welcome. Yes. You are our first in our series of telling you telling our long journeys behind health conditions that have challenged you and and all Cheryl and I have them too challenged us to look at our lives to reassess our diet to reassess our view on on how we were raised and um and how we approach health and yours is from the time I've known you since 1997, um, and you were diagnosed, I think, in the early 2000s, and you'll have to clarify that uh, in, as you get started, but it's always inspired me to watch you go through and, and navigate what you realize it's, it was Crohn's disease, uh, which is autoimmune and something that's super challenging to the gut. And we're Cheryl and I are super psyched to hear your journey and hear you tell us more about your story and how you, how you, first of all, how you got to the point of having Crohn's disease, your diagnosis, and then how you've found this journey of where you are today and, and navigating and taking care of yourself around it. So will you start us off? Will you tell us more about you know, how, 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 how did you get Crohn's disease? (laughs) That's a good question, especially since medical doctors have no idea. And that was the first thing I heard when I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. That's not very appealing to hear when you're told you have a disease when you're Mm. 19 and you wonder how it happened. They don't know. I know now how I got it. It definitely has to do with diet, but I think above and beyond, it had to do with my my mental health, with my well being. Um, stress triggers Crohn's disease, as it does a lot of digestive tract issues. And I was a pretty high anxiety individual. In fact, Nancy, the year mm-hmm. we when we met in 1997 was the same year I was diagnosed with Crohn's. I did not um, know that. Okay. And I, you know, I, I grew up on a, I ate pretty well according to the standard of American diet, but I did not eat well for my constitution. Clearly there's must be some predisposition to Crohn's disease. Uh, I believe they have found some DNA linkages, but it's preventable if you eat well. And I, and I didn't, and the time, what led me to the gastroenterologist the first time was after two months of trotting around Europe with a girlfriend. And in 1997, I was a college student. I didn't have a lot of money. We basically ate really good bread and cheese and (laughs) wine. 
at that right. time, it was cheaper to buy wine in Europe than it was water. Right. Um, yes. So it was not surprising when I came home, I didn't feel really well. I had diarrhea. I was uncomfortable and I was in college and I was like, this is not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, colonoscopy, maybe a couple of colonoscopies, actually, they determined I had Crohn's disease. And, and, and it was given to me in the same sentence as there's no cure. Uh, you will probably not have babies. Your intestines will eventually have to be partially removed. Wow. Um, but just go on about your life and eat lots of fried chicken and pizza so you don't lose weight. Mm. It was bizarre. It was very uncomfortable. And I just accepted that. And I took a crap ton of pills every day. Mm-hmm. They were, I, 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 maybe I didn't have nausea and diarrhea, but I didn't feel any better. Um, And so those years when we were in college hanging out, um, I didn't stop and think about what I was putting in my body. I didn't make the connection that a disease in the digestive tract has to do with what you put in your body and how you live your life because I was brought up in America and we don't have that mindset. Um, And I was still anxiety driven and had a lot of, you know, like nerves I just stressed out over not serious stuff. I just took things too seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, And I say that now because in hindsight, I see that was a lot that what led to me having Crohn's disease. And fast forward to recently, I was in remission for over 20 years and it's recently come back. Crohn's disease after 20 years of nothing has come back. And it's, I've been, I had an insanely stressful couple of years. And I'm now on the other side of that. And both times, the more than one of the first things I was I removed were, were stressors. Uh, this time, my stressors were a lot different. It was a horrible ex boyfriend and a horrible, horribly stressful job. Those are now both gone, and I've gotten my diet back on track. And just like I did the first time, except for this time, I did it in six months. Back in 1997, it, it, t- it took a few years until I started connecting those dots. So okay. I took a lot of drugs for it. They made me incredibly anemic. I could barely stay awake through our college classes. I mm-hmm. sometimes would be driving and would have to pull over and take a nap. Mm-hmm. Even when you're 20 years old, you should not have to do that. I started to be aware of the fact that this isn't normal, but I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. I have a disease and I have to take these pills and I'm going to do it. And I never question the gastroenterologist that I felt like never even looked at me. I mean, I think he, he only ever saw my ass, to be honest. He never looked at me in my face. I was, you know, <laughs> it was like sticking things up and testing and this is it. That And at that time, not a lot of people had Crohn's disease. It was quite yeah. rare. I had never heard of it. Okay. Fast forward a little bit. I start, I leave America and as I start traveling abroad, I start to notice food and food culture. It's very much lacking or it it was very much lacking in America at that time. I don't want to say it still is because I think things are a lot better. But at that time, I never came across anyone who said, why don't you look at what you're putting in your diet? And so the thing about Crohn's disease is it it sucks to have Crohn's disease, but it's made me have my best life. Yeah. I definitely have the life I have now is I kind of feel like my, my disease guided me to certain places and people all over the world in this search to find out what 
something doesn't feel right. And, and what I was looking for was just finding balance so that my body could take care of itself. And when you, you know, are drinking alcohol and eating whatever is put in front of you and you have Crohn's disease and you're, it doesn't, it's not going to get better. And so my first eye opener experience with the person was I was living in Israel and this communal environment, it's called a kibbutz. And in Israel, I don't know if people realize this, but there's a lot of fried food in Israel, like chicken schnitzel and falafel. And this was a, you know, um, community where everyone ate together. And so there was a buffet and I mean, I just ate what tasted good. And I started to feel lousy again. Mm -hmm. And the nurse on the kibbutz recommended I ate from, they have a little cart of food for all the sick and old people. (laughs) She said to try that food for a while. So I go over there. And I'm looking and it's like steamed vegetables and rice and boiled chicken, just really simple things. And there's this girl there who I just recently met. She was, I remember she was this cute, petite little woman from Venezuela. And she was just the epitome of like health and energy. And I was like, what are you doing over here eating this food? And she's like, I want to live a long life. I'm not going to eat all that fried stuff. She's like, I eat here every day and I don't eat after the sun goes down. Mm. And I was like, and I remember that to this day. I was like, heck yeah. Like I'm not the only young person who is trying to feel better. And so I started eating this boring steamed food, but I did feel better Mm. immediately. But I, I was still, still hadn't quite made that connection. And to fast forward a little bit, being in the Middle East, my obvious next place I went to was India. And that's where it dawned on me that I was a very wound up individual who took myself way too serious. Everybody annoyed me and it was eating me up. It was like literally burning holes in my intestines, which is kind of what Crohn's disease is. Mm -hmm. And I, it took me several months to just unwind and to exist in India and be happy. And that was, I think, the biggest game changer for me was letting go and just starting to explore myself and accept people as they are. You know, we all have our own explorations and journeys to that. Well, mine began there. I, you have to. You either do that or you leave India. And I really wanted to stay. And in India, the food was you know, it's it's mostly vegetarian. I started to really be aware of the food. I still wasn't feeling great, but I knew that I felt a little bit closer. There's a lot of awareness about health that I was able to access. So I started studying yoga there. I mean, I had no responsibility. Of course, I had no stress. I had no job. I was living in India like a queen. You can do whatever you want in India for like 10 bucks a day. I was hiking in the Himalayas. I was playing drums and meeting people and dancing. So stress started to go away and I felt better. And I started to hear conversations about these doctors that are curing people. And I perked up. I'm like, I don't want a freaking disease. I don't want it. It was not okay with me that I had a disease. I hated that some doctor told me I had limitations. Um, And even though I wasn't thinking about kids at the time, it really stuck with me that he said that may not be a possibility. Um, So as I start to investigate these conversations about Ayurvedic um, practitioners and Tibetan doctors, and to me at the time, I mean, I didn't know where India was geographically until I was in India. Again, (laughs) I grew up an American, like, I don't know what's going on outside the world. So everything's totally foreign to me. And I hear about these Tibetan doctors and I'm like, Tibet, (laughs) remind me like 
what so I I learned so much about the culture of Tibet and of India, specifically North India, as I started this path to find a cure for myself. Um, and so I quickly learned that Tibet medicine and I, I got books, I read about Tibet medicine. It's very complex. It was very hard for me to understand, but it, it made some sense to me, even though it was completely foreign to anything in our Western medicine practices. Um, and Tibet medicine, they use, you know, your pulse to determine, to, to do the diagnosis and, there's just a completely different holistic approach to the body as there is in all. Sorry. Can you explain that a little bit? Can you beyond the pulse and and like talk to us about the, how the Ayurvedic practitioner also approached you? Yeah. So very different. The Ayurvedic practitioners, that was definitely more diet focused. Mm -hmm. The Tibetan doctor experience was very different. And I, I traveled across India. India is freaking huge. So it took took a long time. It took me months to get to the top of India where I heard about this one Tibetan doctor in particular. I tried one Tibetan doctor at a clinic. I didn't, I didn't feel that connection. And I found Dr. Yoshi Dundon, who uh, was previously the Dalai Lama's physician while in Tibet. So I'm like, that's, that's a great resume right there. (laughs) If he can treat the Dalai Lama... I'm all good with it. So I was in Dar- Dharamsala, which is where the Dalai Lama lives. And I went and I found his little clinic and I went and I, I, you know, I was like going to go make an appointment. And they were like, just show up tomorrow morning and you take a number. So I go the next wow. morning and I walk into, and this, this doctor, Dr. Yoshi Dunnan is world famous. I mean, he's written books. He's presented here at World Congress and universities and so I expected, you know, what you would expect from this world-renowned doctor. And I walk into this small room and there's these wooden pews everywhere. And there's the two hooks on the wall with all these wooden pallets with numbers. And you grab a wooden pallet with your number. And uh-huh. I just went and sat with everyone else in the waiting room, which was predominantly Tibetan monks, Indian people, and me, the white girl. <laughs> I'm sitting there and my number gets called and I go back and I, and oh, and while I'm sitting in the waiting room, I keep seeing Dr. Yoshi Dunnan, and who's this humble, a lovely older Tibetan monk in his Tibetan robe. He shuffles mm. in and out of the waiting room. So when you go to a Tibetan doctor, the diagnosis is the first thing they do is they smell your first urine of the day. So I knew this. So I had taken wow. with me everyone that got their bottle of pee, their first pee. <laughs> and so you see Dr. Yoshi Dundon, and I later read what he was doing is he was going outside to pour the urine on the ground. Mm-hmm. And he was um, looking for color, for the amount of foam, for the smell. I mean, you know, you are what you eat and what you don't mm-hmm. eliminate. And so what's coming out of you shows what's going on inside of you. And so the urine is a huge part of that first initial. It's like the doctor coming in and taking our blood pressure and temperature. Right. Yeah. So then when it was my turn, I went back in the room, there was an interpreter and who's Dr. Yoshi Dundon and, you know, and I sit in there and this was the de- defining moment for me when my mentality completely shifted um, is that I, I'm looking at Dr. Yoshi Dundon and I say, I have Crohn's disease. I, I know this is not a curable disease, but I just want to know if you can help me with some of the symptoms. And he looks at me and he's, he, the whole time he's speaking Tibetan through the interpreter, but 
in this moment, he speaks in English to me and he says, that is what your doctors say. There is a cure for everything. And I was completely just overwhelmed with the sincerity and the conviction in his words, because no one had ever given me that sense that I had power to pretty much do whatever I want with the right tools. Uh, It was amazing. And so he took my pee, (laughs) smelled it and poured it out, came back in. And he, he takes, he takes your wrist and there's three pulses. And my, my knowledge of Tibetan medicine is incredibly limited. I did not pursue it. I just used it, but um, he feels the three pulses and based on the pulses, he then sees where there are weaknesses or strengths or overstimulations. Um, and he prescribed, he wrote down on a little sheet of paper, um, some dietary things for me to follow. And he prescribed to me some Tibetan pills, which are these balls of herbs that Tibetan monks roll all day long while they're chanting over them. Um, and I took, and so on this piece of paper, he said, I think I have it somewhere still uh, to not eat dairy, no sugar, no spicy food, no oily food, and no meat. I believe those were the five things. I was like, okay, done. I went to the, and you know, that this whole experience cost me $20. Wow. And I went and got my Tibet and I got about a three month supply of these Tibetan pills. You chew them up and you drink, you eat them with hot tea and you, you can tell they're really good for the liver and the gallbladder. Like some of them are incredibly <laughs> bitter. Um, and yeah. so I, I continued to see Dr. Yoshi Dundon for about a year. I would go back for, I would go back every month for a while. And then I left and I came back six months later and I went and saw him again and I continued to take the pills. But what I think really was the big game changer for me was completely taking those components out of my diet. Yeah. Um, and in India, that was very easy, especially in Northern India, India, the food is less spicy, less oily. I even went and bought myself a stove and I just ate rice and lentils and vegetables. And mm. I was feeling really good. I was hiking up and down mountains every day. I did yoga every day. I, after maybe about three or four weeks, I had six months supply of my prescription drugs from America for Crohn's disease. And I, I stopped taking them, which was kind of scary. You know, I'm in the Himalayan mountains. I'm by myself. I don't know anyone. This is a time period. There was no, I didn't have social media. I didn't have a cell phone. Making a phone call costs like hundreds of dollars to America. So I felt very alone in a good way. I liked that, but stopping to take these pills that I had ingrained in my head, you take drugs when the doctor tells you to take them. And then after about two weeks of not taking those pills, the prescription drugs, I felt so immensely amazing. I, it was like, I was naturally high. Uh, I felt like I could fly up the mountains. My energy peaked so high and it stayed there within, by the time I left Dharamsala, which is about two months later, I threw all of the pills away in the trash can. Hundreds uh-huh. of dollars, maybe. I don't remember the cost of them because I had to get so many. And I have never taken a prescription drug since then, except for one time I had <laughs> I had to take antibiotics for, um, what's it called when you're... Um, Urinary tract. 
Oh. No, when you're nursing and it gets oh, mastitis. Yes, that. <laughs> so, <laughs> that one time that I was like, I am in so much pain. I will take whatever you need to give me. Um, <laughs> and and so from that point on, obviously, I transitioned my mindset and I became obsessed with food. I took cooking classes in India. I ended up in Japan for a little while and was super fascinated by the foods there, except for they were so foreign to me. I would go and buy these vegetables and bring them back to my apartment where I lived with all these Japanese girls. And I didn't know what to do with it. The things were slimy or strange. I just had fun looking at them. Like I became kind of obsessed with food. I went to Thailand and exploring food now in terms of not what tastes good, but making sure that I wasn't eating meat and dairy. And in and, and, and Asian countries, it was very refreshing to be able to find so many delicious foods like that. Um, <clears throat> fast forward a little bit. I'm in London with uh, visiting my aunt and working there for a little while. And I'm telling her, I'm like, Aunt Yvonne, I had Crohn's disease, but I don't take drugs now. I feel amazing. And I described to her what I've been doing. I'm like, I eat lentils and chickpeas and rice and vegetables. And she's like, that's macrobiotics. I'm like, what, what's macrobiotics? Like there are other people like me. I got so (laughs) excited. It turns out her, um, her ex-husband almost died and recovered from a lung infection with macrobiotics. So she was very well acquainted with it. And she said, you should check it out. That's awesome. And- so we, we we have to pause you because this is an incredible story that li- <laughs> li- like literally traverses the world. And like Cheryl has like this eager question. Cheryl, what is your Sorry, question? Yes. I, you know, it's like you're, you're describing like your eat, pray, love of like yes. a root cause adventure. But I think to highlight a few things that you're talking about, I mean, this is like, you have this spectacular story and journey, which I think we all have that, you know, we like, we decompress, but I mean, to highlight, I think just a few things you're talking about one being, you know, how often do we hear? And, you know, I hear this from clients all the time, people, you know, clients who they go to the doctor we're not anti the doctor, um, you know, but they go to the doctor and they get the same kind of diagnosis you have. You have Hashimoto's, you're never going to get well. You have an autoimmune disease, you're never going to get well. You have Crohn's or a gut, you know, whatever it is, right? And you can't get well. And I think this really highlights something we've talked about on this podcast before, which is one, like, you have to believe in your ability to get well and that you heal yourself first and foremost, you know, like not spontaneously. We all put in the work. No. We have people who we may work with who are guides and supports, you know, whether that is a Tibetan doctor or the Indian doctor or the this or that, or the healer or the modulator or the energetic <laughs> healers and workers. But also you highlight this, you know, the, the big um, kind of compounding force of stress and that stress looks a million different ways. When we do not sleep well, we are stressing the body. When we're not eating well, we are stressing the body. When we're, we have food allergies and sensitivities, we are stressing the body, right? Toxicity, like there's a million different things and it's never one thing. It's always a domino effect of things that mm-hmm. send us, sends our bodies over the rails and dis-ease and the body creates disease in the body. Right. Yeah. That we also have the ability to 
change and improve. And whether that is fully healing from a thing or reducing our symptoms or putting something into remission, we have this amazing outward sort of bubble of things that are at our access and of source and of intuition. And so um, I love this story because I think it highlights so much of that and also just trusting your gut and your intuition and that, you know, the, that nature of like, if you're going, Hmm, something doesn't seem right. Or, Hmm, I don't like that. Or, Hmm, you know, that there are other ways to support the body. So, and I love that you, you bring so much of this up. I think the, I think the fact that the doctor also, I think that, the, that, that critical point that you highlight of just empowering you is what catap- seems to have catapulted you into action. Like it, what I hear from your story is that you, you know, you started just sort of, you know, pinching off bits of, of wisdom from people who you observed and, but not really fully trusting your own intuition and knowing that that was, that was your guidepost, that that was what you really needed to focus on is to listen to your body um, because you had to lug around this bag full of drugs. I actually remember you talking to me about how big the bag was and how many drugs you had to lug over to Israel and then having to go from Israel to India and getting, I remember you having to have like your dad ship. It was a big deal to have your dad ship you uh, like to the kibbutz, I believe, like the, this yeah, bag it was drugs, a pain in the ass before you left for India. Explaining that in the airports too. And right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also what did you have to pay? Right. What did you have to pay? Well, to get so all those pharmaceuticals. Like, it was a lot of money, but you know, in Israel, because their healthcare system is so amazing, I actually got most, I got about a six month supply of my drugs in Israel, even though I'm not so good. a citizen. Um, because it was so that first box my dad sent me to Israel was very expensive. Right. Um, yeah, the, but listening to your gut, it is, we don't listen to our gut because we're not raised in a culture that's connected to nature. And so to go outside of that, I had a lot of self doubts. I didn't know what my gut was trying to tell me. It took (laughs) a long time. Like what if I had never left America and just stayed here? I, you know, I don't think about that a lot, but like, thank goodness I went somewhere where I heard other viewpoints. It was normal. I mean, I was exposed to to Reiki, to all the energetics, these things I had never heard before. I had done a little bit of yoga. Thanks to you, Nancy. Actually, you <laughs> took me to my first yoga class at the yes. continuing ed. With <laughs> the great, that was one of the greatest yoga classes ever. Favorite. But when I got to India, it was like just this explosion of ways that people show self-care and take care of themselves. And it didn't look or sound like anything that I knew. And so being able to travel around the world, really, I gained obviously a lot of confidence. I felt like the world was my oyster. And so that is where I felt this empowerment to be with the mindset that, no, I'm not going to have a disease just because some dude in America said I do. And, you know, I do want to mention in current day, the difference, I've recently had a, a, a colonoscopy. I have a new gastroenterologist here in Asheville. And when I went to her, I told her, I'm like, I know I have, I know my Crohn's is back. I told her before the colonoscopy, I know why it's here. I've been really stressed. I haven't been eating well. 
After the colonoscopy was confirmed, I asked her, I said, I want to cure myself again. I did it 20 years ago. Can I do that? She's like, yeah, let's do it. You feel better? She's giving me six months. I'm actually at the three-month mark. She's monitoring um, inflammation through stool Mm -hmm. samples. I will have another colonoscopy in a year. And she's all about it. Her mindset, she's also my age where Mm. I just feel like we've come so far when she suggested this plan to me, like my heart just dropped because I was expecting this because she wanted to talk about treatment. And I was like, wait, before you go into the drugs, can we just try something? And her willingness to do that and not just like, okay, she is totally on board with it and, and is not surprised that. I was able to do it the first time. I was like, yeah. and so having the opportunity to work with, because, you know, you said earlier, like, we're not against doctors. We're not, thank goodness for them. I'm very grateful for my practitioners, for my OBGYNs, for my gastroenterologists, for the colonoscopy. So I know exactly where it is. I'm actually sitting here looking at pictures of the inside of my intestines, which is crazy, but it's like, to see and understand what's going on, but then to be able to collaborate about an alternative way, I'm I, that is what I always wanted, but that wasn't even presented to me. And especially for young people, if you're young and you're in the medical world, it is overwhelming, and you don't have that like adult ability to just be like, "Wait a minute, I'm not accepting this." You know, I didn't have right. that voice when I was 19. No, yeah. um, none of us so, do, right? Yeah. I was like, scary. We're not, we're yeah, not, we're yeah. not taught to advocate for ourselves, and that learning to advocate is such an important part of life <laughs> just overall right like how how often do we hear like people don't know how to advocate for themselves but also like our healing journeys literally should be functional when i say functional like we want you know i had a client i had this conversation with a client last night who was like the doctor says it's fine and i'm like but fine is a code word for like Okay. It's not, or they don't know a lot. Doctors do not feel comfortable. I think with saying not no. And I don't want to sit here and take up this time talking about medical doctors because I do appreciate them, but they are not my go-to for health reasons. And they haven't ever been for my two children. So their dad and I have treated almost everything, including lichen sclerosis and all sorts of other autoimmune uh, autoimmune things that have come up our first approach to it has always been a naturopathic approach. And it is, you know, eight out of 10 times it works. And when it doesn't, then you're like, okay, we we need the medical field to step in here, but we don't have to rely a hundred percent, but you can't just like wake up one day and decide to do that. This is years after of being completely absorbed, not only in macrobiotics, but I mean, I've tried all sorts of diet. I've done all sorts of things. So I'm now on the end, other end of it where I'm like, I'm going to pull this little bit from that and this little bit from this and pretty much anything I've come across where the common denominator is finding equilibrium. That is what works for me is, is finding balance. That was how my body was able to heal. And macrobiotics definitely fine-tuned the healing process. Um, interestingly enough, these pictures I have in my intestines, it shows the old scarring. So I can see the history of my intestines of when, when from, um, you know, 20 years ago, and you can see the difference between the old scarring and what's happening today, the new fresh stuff. Oh, that wow. I call that's that's the fresh stuff I get from being a um, public school teacher. <laughs> I was so stressed out, which 
fortunately, I'm no longer teaching and I'm no longer stressed. I'm actually in a really great place. Mm. And and I'm eating the foods I know I should be eating. And I have zero symptoms. We're back mm-hmm. in February. I, you know, I was vomiting and had nausea. I felt horrible. Yeah. And I haven't taken a single pill. All, all I've done was just mm-hmm. shift to my mindset, got rid of the trash in my life and just I'm putting in cleaner things. It's really not that hard. Yeah. Well, you bring up a good point too, which is the gut being the fortitude of everything in our body, of our immune system, but not just food affects our gut, you know, how, and again, how often do we, you know, we hear people like, well, it's just what I'm eating. And it's like, it's never just what you're eating, right? We have to, we have to look at stress and we have to look at medications. Well, sometimes can be helpful and occasionally they can be life-saving. They also Mm. destroy the gut. And so you, you know, it's a great reminder that, you know, to honor this amazing, gift that we have, which is our entire digestive tract that includes your gallbladder and your part of your liver and your stomach and your intestines as well. And and everything else in the body. I mean, that's the lovely thing about Eastern philosophies is that there isn't, you know, in America, we have all these specialized doctors, but the holistic approach works because if you fix one organ, it doesn't fix all the other ones. And, and so I just, that's again, coming back to finding balance when the body is in balance, it'll it'll start to shift and fix things, but it has to be, it has to be everything. If you have a heart condition, you don't just want to focus on the heart because at some point the digestive tract all, I mean, I've been a science teacher for the last seven years. I taught anatomy and physiology and I tried to like brainwash my students to really <laughs> capture this because the structure in which I taught the human body was, you know, the curriculum was to divide it up section by mm. section, but I'm like, they all work together. They're right. not isolated systems yep. yeah. just as healing and disease or disequilibrium. When one organ's not working well, it's support or- organs aren't working well. And the organs that that organ supports is lacking. And so, you know, there is, we have to think about so many different factors, but when you start to listen to your instincts, if they're clean and you're super in tune with them, your body will tell you what mm-hmm. to do for the whole body. Yeah. Well, I want to say, I think we're we're also like in the middle of your journey here. I, we have dropped off. We have let, I have this vision of you leaving India and heading to see your aunt and she's in, she was, she was in England. Yes. Yes. Right. Um, and, and, Go ahead. So her okay, her so, husband had, had to do macrobiotics. Yes. Yeah, so that was very exciting to me to get that. And again, like this was in the, at, at, we're now in 2002 maybe or 2003. Mm-hmm. I don't remember, but I, I missed this whole, like, I wasn't really like to jump online and do things yet. I kind of missed that boat. I didn't have a cell phone. <laughs> so I was like, so I was going to like old bookstores in London, finding any old book I could find on macrobiotics. And mm-hmm. I kept this name kept popping up, Michio Kushi. And Michio Kushi is actually gave a consultation to my aunt's late husband. And so I knew I was like, I, I need to go and meet this guy. Like I, I need to learn from him and Michio Kushi for anyone doesn't know, which is probably most people. Yeah. I love Kushi. um, (laughs) (laughs) I read all of his books. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're great. Um, Michio Kushi. So macrobiotics is a philosophy that stems from Japan Mm -hmm. and uh, it's been interpreted in the West, you know, and, and it really left Japan in, you know, probably the sixties and seventies. It started coming over to America. Michio Kushi came 
and up in the Boston area, opened up some of the first health food stores. And so it was definitely interpreted as this diet, but it, it isn't a diet. It's, it's a philosophy based on yin and yang, which if you know about yin and yang, it's opposites. And so it's finding that perfect balance. And so in macrobiotics, tool is definitely, uh, food is definitely a tool that is used to find balance. Um, but there's this whole structure that was made around it. So in Massachusetts, there is the Cushy Institute. So I, I left London. I might have hit up a few other countries, not to remember, <laughs> but I came back to America to go to Massachusetts and to study macrobiotics. I couldn't afford to do it. So I worked in the kitchen at the Cushy Institute for a year so that I could take all these classes, which I think I probably learned more in that year of working in the kitchen. Um, and when yeah. I, so the Cushy Institute, like think like old farm, huge house in the Berkshire mountains of Massachusetts with little small dwellings on these rolling hill acreage, mm. kind of cultish like setup. I mean, it was a <laughs> weird place. Macrobiotic people are a little peculiar, but mm. I freaking loved it. I arrived there January 1st, whatever year it was, it was snow everywhere. I mean, you know, Nancy, we, yeah. we're from Georgia where it's hot. We don't get snow. Like I didn't see the ground for months yeah. and I just jumped into this kitchen. I didn't even know how to make rice. I knew nothing about food. I stopped at the Cracker Barrel on the way there because I was scared of like what they were going to feed me. Like <laughs> I walked into like really not knowing what the hell was going to happen. And I just like, it was just a good fit for me. I, mm. you know, a lot of the cooks in that kitchen were Japanese or super into macrobiotics, amazing teachers. I mean, so they don't just teach you how to cook. They teach you how to freaking breathe while you do everything, because it was all about being in a state of, of balance. And so if you're like chopping vegetables and you're all negative or aggressive or rushing the idea is that that energy is going to the food so these are things i'm being taught and i'm like what are they talking about like i didn't know what yin and yang was and i i learned about yin and yang through literally looking at vegetables growing them cutting them knowing when people came in what their conditions and what their constitutions were and the foods that we were making for people a lot of the people that came to the Cushy Institute were there because they were very sick mm -hmm. mostly cancer and so we were cooking for people or we were learning about people with different types of cancers and the kind of foods we need to make for them and it was amazing it, it, you know i have a bachelor's in biology and so i was so science minded and as far out as macrobiotics might just seem to someone when you start to study it, it, it clicked with me perfectly when I could connect what I know about the human body and what, how it is explained through these concepts, like every vegetable, every grain, every bean has, uh, you know, an expansive or a contractive energy, which is yin and yang. And depending on who you are and what your disease is, is everyone is unique and everything has to be applied differently. And so through this, style of living and cooking and eating, the body can find balance and begin repair. Macrobiotics uses a lot of foods for remedies and medicines. So for myself personally, I had a whole, I had a consultation. And so I had all these foods. I went on a very, very strict diet for 
for about four months. It was insanely strict. You know, it takes about 120 days for your, all your red blood cells to make new ones. So this first four months were like azuki beans. And I mean, basically macrobiotics at the Cushy Institute was like beans, lots of different beans, lots of different grains, vegetables cooked in various ways and seaweed. I mean, that, that's what I ate. But even the foods they prepared, I took it on an even stricter level. Everything was water sautéed. And then once I got to four months, I, I expanded it. You know, I we definitely were avoiding nightshades. There's all of these things because basically we're trying to maintain balance. Mm. And if you're if you have any kind of disease, your body is really out of balance. And so that those couple years I was there, I would my body I felt like was able to repair damage that had been done. Yeah. And it may not be necessary to go on a, an incredibly strict diet for every disease. But if you want to fully recover, I feel like that is what was able and it allowed me to then spend the next 20 years of being able to listen to my body. Many times I did not do a good job of listening to my body. I didn't feel well. And I was able to get myself back on track yeah. or I would, I would eat foods. I knew they would make me sick. Crohn's disease was in remission. It wasn't gone. If I, at any point in my life, if I eat a piece of pizza, it's likely I will throw it up. I just mm. cannot stomach yeah. it or I'll lay in bed and feel horrible. So I just knew that I had to, to eat really well, to eat really clean. And macrobiotics for me was just, it was the perfect idea at that time. Right now, if I were to get sick, I don't know that I would go back to that style of eating because I've tried so many other variations uh, raw foods. I did raw foods for a while that actually for my body type, I think was like the best, but it was very time consuming yeah. and it's yeah. very challenging. I did it for a full solid year and that was my peak. Um, so I know that I, for me, I feel best when I'm eating predominantly plant-based foods that aren't fried and avoiding alcohol. Like that's the recipe for me. That's <laughs> yeah. what I need yeah. to do every day. When Isn't I don't do that, yeah, I noticed it. And there's certain foods I definitely am sensitive to it. But if I'm eating well and I'm applying, no matter what kind of food that I make, even to this day, I the philosophy behind macrobiotics is what do I apply to everything? My daughter comes home with an ear infection, like immediately that, you know, that's an infection is an increase of acidity in the blood. And that's yin, that's expansive energy. I need to get that girl some miso soup, some mamuboshi plums to alkalize her blood and get some garlic drops in her ear. You know what I mean? That's the kind of stuff that's going through my head when anyone comes to me with their ailments, which as you guys know, people do that. They, they want to tell you what's wrong with them and what, what should they eat? I know. Well, you bring up a good point when you talk about this too, though, which is our bodies in order to heal, we need to be able to have good drainage. So our livers being able to clear, if you're clugging it up with seed oils and pizza every day, right. The, the body can't repair itself. You know, we, 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 you know, it's like the fundamental, you know, foundations that like our liver is a filter and it digests fats and our gallbladders and, you know, we need bile and, you know, inflammation is, is a real thing. And so it's like, I mean, just you talking about steamed vegetables and rice, I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it does sound good. You know, and like, and it's like, and there's nothing wrong with like, there's this, and you know, it's the difference between like we 
we all have different body experiences and different nutritional needs also, depending on what's happening in our bodies at that time. You know, I was a vegetarian for 15 years and I remember the day I had my first burger after, and I mean, I prepared myself. I was like, this practitioner might tell me I need to eat meat and I'm going to have to get okay with it. So what can I get okay with? For me, it was, I'm going to buy the best raised grass-fed, grass-finished, wild, free-ranging, regeneratively farmed animals that I can, and I'm going to learn how to honor the whole animal. But I remember biting into my first burger and my body being like, yes. (laughs) I felt like my body was like crying in joy. Like literally everything energetically for me in that moment felt amazing in my my body. And it was in a lettuce wrap and there was no gluten and it was, you know, well-sourced and, you know, with some avocado and some, you know, mayonnaise. And it was amazing. And it was what my body needed, you know, definitely in that moment. And, you know, over the last few many years, I'm a big, I mean, you know, if you've listened to the show, I'm a, I personally, for myself, at least I'm like, I'm gluten-free, I'm borderline celiac, I'm a huge fan of regenerative meat and eating lots of great plant food. And when I say plant food, I don't mean impossible burger. I mean, eat real actual food that grows out of the ground and, you know, sourcing it well, ideally free from pesticides and herbicides, you know, and, you know, buying organic when you can, you know, as much as you can afford to. Um, but that, the, that journey looks so different for people. You know, you feel great with eggs. I have a severe egg allergy, you know, but you know, so it's like, there's all these different nuances and we, we learn to adjust and compensate and sort of, you know, rethink, well, what works well for my body based on my situation. And so, you know, when you talk about constitution, you know, being a huge part of that and, Um, it's a good reminder to everybody, you know, out there listening to this show that there's never just one way and there's never just one thing. You know, one of my old roommates, um, had lifelong Crohn's and I remember having this great conversation one time with her and I was like, have you ever been tested for celiac? And it was like, what? And then to find out she is a full-blown celiac on top of the Crohn's and like for her, the the game changer was getting off gluten. And for a lot of people, that's a big component of it. So and never just one way, never just one thing, but you bring up some really, I think, fantastic points um, mm. to listening to our bodies and what we need. Yeah. And I, I want to jump in and just say how important it is to, again, follow your instinct, which which we're all reiterating over and over again here. But um, the thing that, that that strikes me as you talk, Michelle, and I think about the person who might be sitting at home with Crohn's and thinking about all the things that like they're going to feel like they're missing out on, that they are feeling you know so deprived because they can't go to a birthday party and have birthday cake, that they can't go to a bar and have a drink, you know, and fries with a friend and watch the game anymore. Like like somehow their quality of life is going <coughs> is going to Sorry. suffer. Because culturally, we associate so much of joy and, you know, being included as to, you know, in, in what we eat. And and I, I think you could probably relate to this as much as Cheryl and I do, which is that you have to have some degree of uh, 
ability to weather the weird comments, the strange, um, <laughs> like the like the like the the eye rolls from from your aunt Mary, and mm-hmm. the being made fun of by your uncle, you know. Sal, because you you were eating weird and you're not participating like you used to, but and but and and to also have the wherewithal to know that feeling better and thriving in your body is actually where you will have the most enjoyment. You, we won't know that, you know, I didn't know that until I finally pulled out gluten, you know, mm-hmm. lost immediately lost 15 pounds and the bloat and the brain fog and everything else to be like, oh, right. It yeah. feels, it's funny you say that. Cause I forgot about that. That was a huge factor mm-hmm. when I came home in the early two thousands, I would show up to friends and family's houses always with a bag full of food. Right. And I'm, and I was like, little miss, like, macrobiotics this and macrobiotics that and we should eat that i mean i wasn't i became a cooking instructor like i wanted to share with the world that everything we've been doing is not right and it was unheard of and people Mm -hmm. thought i was loony and crazy and i suppose at that point i guess is kind of when i stopped caring about that because i already had realized like I don't give a shit. I actually feel good. Like I'm going to stick with this at this point in my life. It's like 20 Mm. something years in of being different. Yeah. I just, it, one, it is not as different anymore. I love the fact now that like being, you know, not eating dairy and not eating meat, not eating gluten and doing yoga every day, all those things like that's actually considered, well, I live in Asheville, but it's pretty normal. (laughs) I don't, I am not considered a freak anymore. And I, and that's great. That means that more people are doing it. I mean, half of my family now, my, I remember my dad kind of making fun of me of all the weird things I was doing after India. My dad is now vegetarian. My sister's vegetarian. It's spreading this awareness of like what we do to our bodies uh, is really important if you want to grow old and not be uncomfortable. Um, And so if anyone is listening to this and is thinking like, oh, I'm going to miss out. Well, yeah, but miss out. Who cares? Like get over it. You're going to be exposed to new things. And I don't ever hesitate to miss out on something because if my body's telling me not to do it, I know it's for a reason. You know, I quit drinking alcohol when my Crohn's symptoms started popping back up um, by this past summer in June, I, you know, took alcohol out completely. I was like going to be, I thought I was, pre- I was preparing myself for sadness and depression, Yeah. but drinking half a bottle of wine because I'm so stressed from work is not something someone with Crohn's should do. Most people probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> I think anybody and, should probably I've done do it. it. <laughs> I'd done it for so long. And I just thought, how am I going to live without that? And what am I, how am I going to make dinner without my glass of wine within like four or five days? Like I didn't even think about it because I felt so immensely better. I'm still not drinking. And I don't know that I ever will. Maybe I will. I don't, I don't sit and ponder it, but it feels so good to not do it that I don't have a problem with it. And if someone has, you know, issues with addictions or attachment, that's a whole nother thing, but there's, there's support for everything. So right. yeah. uh, there is a solution for everything. And you, if you need to ask for help, you just got to ask someone to support you. There are a lot of people like me and you guys out there who put a lot of focus on food and help other people what to eat. Just start talking. People will yeah. come out of the woodwork. Yeah. Um, and if people think you're weird, just let them if they're, and, and if 
someone makes you feel uncomfortable about what you're doing, then they're probably someone that you need to get rid of your, out of your life, you know, like only have people around that support and lift you up. And you can never have too much support, right? Exactly. It's like, people think it's like, there's a limit to the amount of, and it's like, no, you can never have too much support, but also it takes balls to get well. Like it's not easy. Well, like I am well, not okay. You have to work for it. Yeah. You have to work for it and put in the thing. Um, thank you, you so much to... for sharing your story too. I, I just, yeah, a lot of, a lot of stories there. I haven't thought of for a long time. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my little, my little journey around the world with Crohn's. <laughs> I know. Well, you know what I was saying to Cheryl before we got started, it just how many anecdotes I have in my mind from your journey with, especially with macrobiotics. I was living in New York, newly in New York, actually. I think if the timing might've been right for you to go to Cushy, it might've been the winter of 04 or 05. I that sounds remember. about right. Yeah. yeah. And I was in New York at that time and That's you right. came to stay with me because you were supporting a woman who did not have a stomach anymore. Oh yeah. That was my her first eat. cooking job. <laughs> yes. And I was in the fact, I mean, I hadn't had got a catapulted into my health journey at that point. Um, so, so a whole idea of having to feed someone who didn't have a stomach, the whole idea of you just joking about the fact that like, um, it's sorry, but like how much gas you were dealing with because you were like, I'm eating, standing up constantly and I'm eating beans constantly. And you were just describing what it meant to be at Kushi and, and to like, we were laughing like in my kitchen about farting, but it was all for the better and like it was good. <laughs> and then, um, and, and then I also think just about the whole idea that like food has energetics and food is, is such a life force and we take it for granted and are mass produced you know, <laughs> factory produced, um, culture that, that in world that we live in, it's not just the U S right. It, it is, it is a civilization, yeah. um, that we're all part of, but anyway, I, I thank you for, for sharing your story. Thank you for being so brave. Thank you for educating, um, us today, but also, you know, me and, and all of our friends on your journey over the last 20 years, um, I'm so glad to know that you're well and feeling so much better. Um, at, like you. after this last bout, it, and what's it's proof, by the way, that um, like you didn't succumb as a victim to your circumstances. You were certainly going through a really rough time, and you know it's kind of like I was also saying to show before we get started. It was this idea of like going back to what you knew, like knowing mm-hmm. how comfortable you were and what your body meant. Was like okay, we're gonna just we're going to change our relationship with the things that are, that are causing stress, um, food relationships and work and, yeah. and, and regroup. So here's to it, babe. Well, here's yeah. to it. Thank goodness for awareness. Yeah. yeah, I know. Well, thank you. And guys listening out there, I think if you take anything away from, from Michelle's story, I hope you take away from the fact that it takes, it takes little moments of, a revelation and self-reflection, um, some discipline and, and being brave and being, being brave and, and to confront, um, the, your relationships with food and drink your, to your relationships with people around you, to your doctor, um, and with yourself and with your body. So mm. perfectly said, Nancy. Thank you. All right. 
Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Come back and catch our next episode. We've got a lot more coming down the pike for this new season. And what else can I say? Keep peeling back the onion. Keep peeling the <laughs> onion, guys. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Peeling the Onion Podcast. If we've inspired you to take the next step in your healing journey, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can also find us on Instagram and online at peelingtheonionpodcast.com. Music by Greg DeJazu and podcast production by Nova Media. Until next time, keep peeling the onion.